May we all stand for our prayer. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. Thank you again for this opportunity that you have provided us to worship you openly, to read your words openly, and to deep dive to every word that you say and every blessing, Lord, that's taken from your words. May we open our hearts and our mind for for today. As Lord, I decrease, you may increase. And this is for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't believe in the saying that when you do it more often, that you're not nervous anymore. It's not true. I'm still nervous. And I'll do my very best. (laughs) Thank you. This is it. The author and perfecter of our fate. We go back again to Hebrews 11 and how we started. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Paul, and so on and so forth. People of fate. But they had an inspiration for that fate. As we look at Hebrews again, Hebrews 12, 2 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the names that I mentioned, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. quite difficult to understand sometimes the, the role of Jesus Christ. He is God and yet man and died on the cross for us. Now it's said in the scripture, he is the author and the perfecter, meaning he was the one who predicted, 
who prophesied, and at the same time, he is the doer. You know, when, when we watch movies and everything else, we know the author of the book, for example, but they are not the one acting on it, right? They hire people from Hollywood to act on it and tell their stories. But in this case, Jesus Christ took upon himself the role of being the faithful one. It's way back in Isaiah 53, actually, that this is written. And it, this has been prophesied. We will go through the scriptures, left and right. Old Gospels and the new going forward. In Isaiah 53, it's very clear. Especially in verse 2, saying, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us had turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of, this, of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord, God the Father, makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in the land. 11. After he was suffered, he will see the light of life and he be satisfied. By his knowledge, by a righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. The last verse is quite intriguing in a sense with this prophecy. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. A portion, not the whole thing. Usually when we 
see people suffer, at times we give them the whole thing as a, uh, as a payment to the sacrifice. In this way, in this statement, at this point in time, it was only a portion given. But don't lose hope because at the very end you will see the beauty of it. Now, how can this be fulfilled from this prophecy? If you were God the Father, how will you do it? The statement is a person who will suffer. Someone is assigned to suffer for our sins. If, let's say, we pick and choose right now, who are, who's willing to do that? To suffer for the sins of somebody else. Um, I think I would run away. Say, why would I suffer, right, for another people's burden? In this case, he was appointed. Appointed by his own father. And how can you start doing the plan? God's way. Before Christ suffered on the cross, what were the sacrifices? Um, Animal sacrifices, um, pure, uh, firstborn. They, you know, every year has been repeated all the time. Um, there's no really cleansing of, of the transgressions. So God was, I should not say tired, but he found a final solution. And this is his way. When God wants an important thing done in this world, or a wrong righted, he goes about it in a very singular way. Very simple. He does not release his thunderbolts or stir up his earthquake. He simply has a tiny, helpless baby born, perhaps in an obscure home, Perhaps of a very humble mother. Then he puts the idea or purpose into the mother's heart. And she puts it into the baby's mind. And then God waits. That's how God plans. That's how he waits. He does not do it by force. I believe he will never do it by force. As to what we have learned during Noah. The time of Noah. And he even said it. It will not happen again. But he does it in a very singular way. Very simple way. I talk to my kids about what they plan to have in the future. It's in that stage of life. They go by stages. And now I'm asking them, okay, what do you want to be? See, sometimes the problem we have is that we make ourselves complicated, wherein actually we only want one thing. The answer is just right in front of you. And sometimes it's, it's really just in front of you. I, told, I always tell them to make it simple. Make it straightforward. The important thing when you decide your future in life is that the profession that you will take, will, you will also be enjoying it going forward. Do not be just an obligation that you need to go to work 
because of your profession. It should be enjoyable. It should be worth serving and also at the same time serving God. That's God's way. Very simple. He will not ask anything. Simple, but challenging. As I said, this was given to a very humble mother. And the humble mother um, puts it into a baby's mind and then he waited. He did wait. Christ fulfilled that um, plan. Did you not notice that God waited until it was fulfilled? He spoke a bit in between Christ's life when Christ was here on earth. But he waited. Christ went through the life of a childhood. He went through everything. And he fulfilled his promises. Now, we must learn that the very end, even at the very end, um, he's still fulfilling his promise. He still became uh, um, faithful. The author and perfecter of faith. Sorry. It's going back. Going forward, please. This is who Jesus was when he fulfilled his promise. This is how he looked when he fulfilled his promise. He became faithful to us. I don't know if you can see it at the back clearly. No? It was the face of Jesus during crucifixion. Blooded. Now, at that point, we have the seven last words of Jesus that we may see right now. It's coming back. The seven last words of Jesus Christ at the cross. Number one, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Although because of sin, we too were enemies of God, He never turned cold hearted toward us. As Jesus' words, He so powerful demonstrate. Can we therefore do anything less than strive to love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray to those who spitefully use and persecute you? Um, Have you heard of the word or the saying, throwing under the bus? I see some smiles, and I'm pretty sure some of you have experienced that. Throwing under a bus is basically someone who's just going to sell on you. Will never protect you. Will, if, you're, if you're in trouble, and actually, or if the person is in trouble, he will point at you and say, no, it's his fault. Or if you have something between the two of you that's kind of to protect each other, it does not happen. Throwing under the bus. Um, 
Lately at work, I had that experience. It was tough. It was really tough. But I had to face it. That's life. You just need to pray for that. Jesus does not do that. Even at the cross, He still prayed for us. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We did not know what we were doing. Maybe until now, we're still persecuting Christ. Second one, you will be with me in paradise. Do we see ourselves in the words of this thief? Mindful of our sin and need for God's mercy? Do we likewise mercifully view others as Jesus saw this man? A potential son of God who upon turning to God will have the opportunity to be his family and kingdom. Woman, behold your son. Yet, here was Jesus, instantly, intensely suffering, but thinking of the needs of the mother who had loved him and making sure she'd care for by John. While much of the story of his last hours highlighted his relationship with his heavenly father, this reveals the honor he, he felt for his human mother. That's how faithful Jesus Christ is. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabaktani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you felt or ever felt alone or forsaken? Same principle when you go through, you know, when somebody throws you under the bus, you will feel you're being forsaken and alone. Christ knows that feeling and he can give you the understanding and faith you need in such times. Let us ask question about ourselves though. Has our father ever asked for of us, my child, my child, why have you forsaken me? We all, of course, have abandoned God through our sinfulness. Isn't it time for us to stop? Christ was so faithful. God was so faithful. God did not abandon our Lord Jesus Christ. He just cannot be with Him at that time because He was bearing and carrying our, all our transgressions and the prophecy has to be fulfilled. I thirst, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I thirst. In his anguish, Jesus remained clear-headed and aware that the prophecy of Psalm 69.21 still needs to be fulfilled. For my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And that is what really happened. He was given vinegar. This again demonstrates his physical suffering, and he therefore understands our hurting too. It is finished. What did he finish? A lot. At the age of 12, he fulfilled that he should be in the temple of God. He did that. His work in the flesh, offering himself as our atonement for sacrifice. 
His beaten body and shed blood paying for our sins. Jesus had never wavered from his destiny. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Also, he finished what Satan's fate would be. It was through Christ's death that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Satan remains to be cast out into the bottomless pit, but his time is coming. The Day of Atonement, one of God's holy days, explains how God will shut the door of Satan and open the door for humanity's reconciliation with God. What has God given you to finish? Or he was asking something from us to finish, right? Can we be as dedicated as the one who endured to the end to complete his work for us? That's how faithful Christ is. And lastly, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Can we likewise put ourselves in God's hands? Not only when we die, but like Christ in every day that we live. How do do we want Christ to be remembered in our hearts? Is it this picture of a suffering Christ? Is it the empty cross? One time at the city temple in London, there was in a congregation a restaurateur named Emil Mettler who was a close friend of Albert Schweitzer and a kind agent of the Schweitzer in Britain. Mettler would never allow a Christian worker to pay for a meal in his restaurant. But once he did happen to open his cash register in the presence of a secretary of London Missionary Society, the secretary was astonished to see among the bills and coins a six-inch nail. In his cash register. What was, what was it doing there? The question. Mettler explained. I keep this nail. With my money. To remind me of the price. That Christ paid for my salvation. And of what I owe him. In return. may sound bizarre, but for some people, they keep something to remind them as to what Christ did for us on the cross. It could be anything. I remember this particular, actually in Revelation, talks about a perfect church. A church that was able to determine all the bad people in the church and was thrown out of the church. A church that doctrinally was perfect. But at the end of the day, Jesus said, I have somewhat against you. What was lost? The first love. What can be reminded of us of Christ's faithfulness is the question 
that we will not lose that first love. I like this picture. I, I don't know if you can see it at the back. I apologize. It's an empty tomb. It's an open door with the light coming in. A sign that Christ is not dead. Christ has fulfilled another level of promise and that he resurrected. Out of all what was done, the next picture is in Revelation. Um, The one key element that brought me to become a believer in Christ is the book of Revelation. I fell in love with Revelation. And tough to say too, it was in King James. It was very hard English, especially in my background, wherein all the P's and the T's are hard to pronounce. That's how the Filipino way of speaking in English. So I was given a King James Version of the Bible, and we went through um, the book of Revelation. I fell in love with that, the Revelation itself, how it was described. And actually, at the beginning of Revelation, you will find some people make it as a story, make it a movie, you know, apocalypse, one, two, three, four, five, uh, the revelation, the you know, final days, the end of days. But actually, if you look at, I think, verse 1 or 2, it says, blessed are those who read this. It's totally the reverse. We are to be blessed by what revelation should be. I am in particular with Revelation 21 because it's got the promise, a promise of beauty, a promise of hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Good for me, I don't know how to swim. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is my favorite. Read. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water to life. Christ is the Alpha, the Omega, the author and the perfecter. Our faith is nothing without Him. In verse 7 and 8, those who are victorious will inherit all this, the new heaven and earth. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Without Christ, we are nothing. How do we spell the word Christian? I believe maybe some of you knows about this. If you spell Christian, it's C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S. Or I-N, not that's Christmas. I-A-N. If you take away Christ, what does it remain? I-A-N. It connotates, I am nothing. We are nothing. And I know some of you knows about that. You have learned it from maybe one Sunday school. But yes, we are nothing. Take away the word Christ in our hearts and in our name as Christians. We are nothing. The predominant theme of the scriptures is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He is God. He became a human being, died by crucifixion, and was buried. He rose again from the dead. He is the only all-sufficient Savior of the world. He will come again to this earth. Removing this from the scriptures robs them of all coherent meaning and continuity. Taking away all these things will mean nothing. Jesus Christ is God. He was pre-existent with the Father. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Sounds confusing? He is the Son of God. He was sinless as only God can be. He forgives sins as only God can. He performed miracles, miraculous works. Jesus Christ became man. His miraculous birth was prophesied 800 years before his coming. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophecy was fulfilled to the letter, Fear, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his, call his name Jesus. Remember the plan of God before? The way God was thinking? Small child. Put into a woman's womb, a very humble woman, in a dream, 
Very simple plan. Very singular plan. Jesus demonstrated human characteristics. He became tired. He was thirsty. He ate food. He showed feelings. Especially if you look at the book of Mark. Please read the book of Mark. If you want Jesus' action, touching, you would look at the book of Mark. So loving. He wept. He knew temptation. He died. Jesus Christ is an accomplisher. He died on the cross. This is the fundamental theme, theme of the gospel. He was resurrected from the dead. This is unique and fundamental to Christianity. Am I right? Without the dying on the cross, there is no fundamental theme of the gospel. Without the resurrection from the dead, the uniqueness and the fundamental of Christianity is nothing. That's the big difference of us being Christians. Jesus Christ gives results. He ascended to his Father. He is our eternal mediator right now. He is our Savior. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ is complete. He shall return again to this earth. Do you believe in that? Believers in Christ shall be bodily resurrected to begin a new undying life. He will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over His new creation. There was one question one time wherein when the Lord comes back or when you get to heaven and see Him, What will be your age? How will you look like? Will you be your 21-year-old features? Will you be your 10-year-old maturity? How will you look like in heaven as we believe and follow Christ? It was funny because there are different answers. Oh, I like, I like to be, you know, when I was 40 because I'm a bit mature and I can think well. <laughs> In all honesty, I don't care about my age. I just want to be there. Another question was, what mansion do you like to have in heaven? Because there are promises, right? You will have your own mansion you will have your own home how big do you want it to be i said i don't care about that one too i just want to be there even though i was just sweeping the floor of heaven because i'm sweeping a golden floor we care so much sometimes of things that can be dead or dying that can be stolen and rusted. What we need to care about is how faithful Christ was and is 
and that how we get there. Now I would like to call on the um, for the communion. It's quite a surprise, but I intentionally did this this way because there's a link to the message and to the communion itself. May I invite all the deacons, please, to come over? What we will do now is very important. It's one of the reminders as what Jesus said, remember me. Reminder of what Christianity is all about. The sacrifice given to us or done by our Lord Jesus Christ for us. In the Old Testament times, God agreed to forgive people's sins if they brought animals for the priest to sacrifice. When this sacrificial system was inaugurated, the agreement between God and man was sealed with blood of animals. But animal blood did not in itself remove sin. Only God can forgive sin. And animal sacrifice has to be repeated day by day and year by year. Jesus, on the other hand, instituted a new covenant or agreement between humans and God. Under this new covenant, Jesus would die in the place of sinners. Unlike the blood animals, his blood, because he is God, would truly remove the sins of all who puts their faith in him. And Jesus' sacrifice would never have to be repeated. It would be good for all eternity. As John the Baptist called Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can I ask uh, Brother Francis to pray for the bread? Shall we bow our head and pray? Heaven gracious Father, we thank you so much, Lord God. We thank you for your life and the sacrifices, Lord God, you have made to us, Lord God, because of our sin. We thank you so much, dear Lord God, that you love us. And Lord, as we came together able to celebrate and partake your body, Lord God, we just ask that. May you take away everything in us, Lord God, and, and fill us with your love, with your passion. Renew us, Lord God. I thank you so much, Lord God. Father, we thank you that we can come together with our heart, Lord God, free, able to call about your name, call for you, Lord God, because you are our Father. We praise you and we honor your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. Taking this, he divided it amongst you. For I tell you that I will not drink again of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I would like to ask for Brother Charles to pray for the cup. Lord Jesus, thank you for your perfect, your complete, and your everlasting sacrifice that gives us life, that honors the Father, that brings you glory forever and ever. Thank you for the shedding of your blood. If you've washed away our iniquities yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. We give you thanks and praise. We belong to you. Amen. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But uh, the hand of him who is going to betray me is mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays. Let us drink of this cup. Let us pray. Father, we give thee thanks and praise, Lord. For taking over, taking over of our lives, taking over of the covenant, taking over for we, as a frail human being, have empty promises and we cannot do it without you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness, for the patience, for the love. Even unto death, you are still thinking of us. Thinking of of your mother at the time. Thinking of, of the sinners. Forgiving up to the end. There, there's really nothing more for us to, to look into or to search for. You are the only one. And with this, Lord, with all the words from the beginning of the scripture, after the promises given to revelation, again, may we open our eyes and our minds to accept you, to put the belief and to follow you, and to lead us, surrender. Again, we thank you. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be, Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And God, people say, Amen. God bless.